If dog people made dog food, it wouldn't be sold in a 50-pound bag in the hardware aisle by the shoe polish. It would actually be food. It would be made with real, fresh meat and veggies gently cooked to preserve their nutritional value. You know, like food. The Farmer's Dog was created by dog people who cook and deliver fresh, healthy food. Try the Farmer's Dog and get fresh, pre-portioned meals tailored to your dog's needs. Tell us about your dog, build your plan, and get 50% off at thefarmersdog.com slash listen. That's thefarmersdog.com slash listen. This episode is brought to you by the great smoking alternative, Chulis Gum, when you don't want your lung to turn black and cancerous. Welcome everybody to the Potaskew Podcast. I am CJ, and with me, as always, is my hetero life mate Rico. What's up, man? I'm good, man. Um, I'm actually really excited. We've got a guest that we've been wanting to interview for a long time. Yeah, the one and only and properly pronounced Scott Schiaffo. There you go. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us in this the 25th year AC after Clerks. We you know, we've been honoring this movie pretty heavily because we are inspired by Kevin. So we will tell you, though, as we said to Marilyn when we had her on, we realize you have a bigger career than just Clark. So we will not spend the whole time holding you to Julie's questions. But we we definitely can't not talk about the movie a little bit, you know. Oh, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm fine with whatever you guys want to get into. I, I do have a body of post clerk's work but of course it's the film i uh to this day anyway am been most connected to and known for so let it rip man and like you said we have a reason to it's the 25th anniversary yeah, yeah. um let's go ahead Rico. it looked like you were gonna say something no no i was just curious i mean obviously we'll talk about clerks but i'm more concerned i'm i'm more curious about uh Excluding clerks, what are you, what is your body of work that you're most proud of? Mm. What's you know what yeah. is what do you, what is your you know yeah there's clerks but there's also this them on you know what what do you, what's what uh, makes you proud of your career? Oh well, great question, and um, of course, clerks is also one of the first go to answers if you ask that question because uh, of how many people it's touched. Obviously, you can't ignore the fact that. Um, uh, it resonated with so many people. Uh, I was fortunate to be cast in another View Askew production where I got to play opposite Brian O'Halloran again, uh, which is Vulgar, which is Brian mm-hmm. Johnson's movie. And again, Brian and I are going head to head on screen. And I'm very proud of that film. Um, there's a film called Linger, which is a, a low budget independent uh, film under 60 minutes. So it was considered a short it's available on DVD. I also worked on the score of that film. And as far as an act for acting, that's one that I am particularly fond of. Uh, but I, I, I really feel fortunate to have any and all of the things I have worked on. So they all hold a special place. But uh, of course, the Chulies Gum. The thing about the Chulies Gum guy that I find the most interesting to date is, let's face it, he's really... The characters are an asshole, 
He really is. <laughs> he is. He's kind of, he's a jerk off. He's not really nice or likable, but yet the fans are very nice to me and really enjoy talking about that character as if he wasn't such an a-hole. Now, every now and then on some of the sites like the, uh, the, the view askew uh, boards or on Facebook, we have the world of Kevin Smith. Yep. Every now yep. and then you'll have somebody say, Oh, you know, fuck that Julie's gum guy. And I get that. I understand <laughs> that because he really is an asshole, but I, I've always been very um, shocked and happily surprised at how nice the people are regarding that character. Cause he really wasn't likable. Well, well here's we, the thing. Here's the know, thing for me, though. Like Scott, I Enrico, you tell me if you agree, because we've never really talked about it in this regard. But to me, that scene with Brian and and the Chili's Gum guy. By the way, does he have a name? Did he have a name? No, he didn't have a he didn't have a name name like Joe Smith type of name. Right. In, in the script, he wasn't the Chili's Gum guy. He's kind of been affectionately dubbed that over the years in the script. He's called the activist. Okay. 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 Well, that makes sense. We've never. No, I've never. Nobody's ever really referred to him by that. That's yeah. solely right out of the script. But to but, me, that scene is like one of the pivotal scenes of the first act of the movie. Like, if you don't have that scene, I think it doesn't set the tone for a lot of other things that take place. And I think you need that scene for that, at least for the first act. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that not only was I very fortunate to get that role as a character actor, because if you were chomping at the bit to get a gig and you auditioned for Clerks, uh, if you didn't get one of the leads, the Chulies guy was one of the choice uh, supporting uh, parts or, or, or character parts, I should say. So that was a, a real fortunate coup that I was cast as the Chulies gum guy. Because you're right, it was written to stand out. It was written to cause havoc in that first five minutes of uh, you getting to know, introduced to what's going to happen in this movie, it sets up everything. It sets up the wild ride. It lets you know that anything could probably happen in the movie. And it's very bombastic in its scope. And that was all, you know, uh, intentional, of course, on Kevin's end. So I was very blessed to get that role because unless an actor was in a coma, you're going to stand out. Right, right. Not to mention, it's a very good way of introducing Ver the character of Veronica because she. It's it's interesting that we've interviewed uh, Marilyn and as well as you because I would almost argue that you're both a nemesis of each other, sure, as characters. And for her to, it's a great introduction to her character to come in, defend Dante, and blast everybody with a fire extinguisher. And then call your character on his bullshit. But I would also, I mean, all this talk of of the Chulies guys being an asshole or a douchebag or all that shit. He he may his his methods may be unconventional, but he's still just trying to do his job. Right. You know, if anything, he he's, he came up with a great way of trying to sell gum. You know, so I I if if this was an, a, an another movie and the character was the main character. We would say, oh, he's such an in inventive genius of trying to sell more gum. He has to go the cancer merchant route. So I kind of see both ways. I mean, it, he's he's a likable asshole as, as as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's which, awesome. Well, which I would say is is a testament to your craft. You you don't come off like a guy a bad guy in that scene. You come off like a guy who's just trying to make a living. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I 
you say he's not likable, Scott. I, I, I think I have to disagree with that. I, I, he's certainly not someone you endear yourself to, but he's certainly not like I, I, I don't think he's that hated either. There's people worse. Like I think Mosher playing the hockey guy is worse than you. You know, so I would even argue all the people like you know Walt Flanagan uh, throwing all the. Um, Cigarettes. cigarettes at Dante are right. worse than the guy who, I mean, he may have stirred them up, but he didn't throw anything. Yeah. I, well, I think he whipped a pack of gum back at him. He's kind of started the violent sort of, uh, okay. Well then you're right. He is a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess because, you know, not only am I critical of myself in some ways, because as an actor, uh, what you're always trying to do, whether you're playing a good guy or a bad guy, is to bring out some kind of humanity and bring out something if 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 a character because nobody is, I mean, you could argue this, but not many characters in in life are a hundred percent despicable or a hundred percent likable. Right. Everybody's a little bit of a mix. Some of the worst people in the world have a couple of good qualities. So when you're playing a bad guy, which it's true, you hear this all the time, but the bad guys are a lot more fun to play. You look to try to make something human about him. So the fact that the fact that he's not really hated or vilified and uh, the fans over the years found him to be oddly endearing is really a sweet takeaway for me because uh, the, first of all, none of us knew that the movie would have the life it's had and live this long. So you don't know that going in, but once you start to see that beginning to happen after the first 10 or 15 years, you can't help but be thankful that the character has somewhat of a, it's, you know, he resonates pretty well with the people as far as, um, like I said, the fans mostly are, are pretty, pretty much embrace it, even though he's really kind of a jerk to Dante. But like you say, he's got a real agenda. Well, well, well that many villains in this movie. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like there's really not a straightforward bad guy in clerks. Right. So Scott, Scott, you mentioned earlier that like, if you didn't get one of the leads like Dante or Randall or whatever, that that was kind of one of the key roles to go after. Did you audition for that role or did you try for a different role to begin with? Like what, what role were you going for when you started this process? Well, uh, the way he ran the auditions, none of us knew what we were actually reading for the first night, because the first night you came in and you performed a prepared monologue. Right. And I know you've talked to Marilyn about hers and she she uh, hers and Brian's and one or two others are available on the Xbox package of Clerks, the 10th anniversary. There's some footage of the original auditions. But none of us going in, though, that first night, the first or second night, the first two nights was an open call for people to come in and do a prepared monologue, which is uh, a fairly common thing, too, in the uh, film audition world. If you're not reading from the script, you're doing a prepared monologue so they could see what you could do. You know, ideally, you're coming in and giving them something really good because you prepared it already. So then they could judge you from there and see if you're bringing the kind of energy they feel they want to have you read from the script. So I did a, I did a monologue from the film Diner, 
which is one of my favorite films from that oh, era. Uh, Levinson. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I did one of Shrevey, who was the Daniel Stern character. Right, right. I did one of his monologues. And like most actors, uh, you know, you don't always feel you did well at the audition. On those auditions, you actually get a call back. And then on the auditions where I thought I killed it, I never heard back from them. So this was one of those where I thought, eh, it was okay, but I don't know if I really sold it. And then a handful of days later, I got a call to come back down and now read from the script. And even then, when we were given the sides, we weren't, not much was explained to us. Brian talks about O'Halloran, Brian O'Halloran talks about how he was given some sides. And I think it might have been the Star Wars uh the, the Star Wars discussion about the um, the contractors and whatnot. And he thought it was great, but just from those sides, he had no idea that Dante was one of the main characters either until, you know, we were all hired and then got a script. And even then, I didn't get a full script. So I only got the Julie's Gum Guy stuff right up until I saw the first cut of the movie. I didn't know what to expect. Huh. So how long were you set for? Like, how long did you shoot? Uh, my thing now, if memory serves, uh, there was a few uh, there were a few rehearsal nights because he rehearsed right. like a banshee. So <laughs> there were, yeah, because he had to. He didn't have money for a lot of film, and he didn't have the luxury of what people have now, which is pretty much endless takes with digital. Uh, right. Back then, you were shooting film, and it was very expensive. You couldn't just shoot, shoot, shoot. You'd have to shoot maybe one or two or three things and move on. Um, so he rehearsed pretty heavily. So I was down for a couple of rehearsals down to the stores. And uh, I believe that that the Chulies Gum Guy uh, segment was just one filming night. But we shot it uh, like three or four times in its entirety. Uh, now it's cut up with some it's cut up with a couple of cutaways to jay and bob outside i believe but the original uncut version of the film if you watch that it's one really long take almost like a little piece of theater and from the time from the time we cut back to me and i'm and the gum guy's rolling up his sleeves to the very end that marilyn comes in it's all one long take wow yeah it was one night but uh it was great i had such a wonderful time it was so exhilarating because it required a lot of energy and we did it like three or four times back to back and i literally when it was done not only did i lose my voice from all the yelling but i was really lightheaded from all the just all the energy and excitement and verve i put into uh each take it, it was like a, a nice natural high so to speak <laughs> so the thing i've always been curious about and rico and i've talked about a little bit is the lung like, what was that like reaching in and pulling out this, like, I, I mean, was it was it really a lung or was it just some, like, piece of meat? It was really hideous. And what's a shame is they never got a tight shot on that. Again, we're talking about how he didn't have the luxury of a lot of coverage or a lot of footage. Right. They never right. shot a close-up of that thing to insert. Again, you know, you're going back, he's learning the ropes at that time. Uh, he didn't dawn on him or he didn't want to waste the shot because they put a lot into putting together this hideous thing that I pull out of that bag. That was, and I always forget this and I got to turn to Brian in the panels because Brian remembers. And I always 
mess it up. And I always keep saying it's something that it wasn't. But I don't. Is tripe like some animal's gut? It's um, it's a stomach, I think, of something. Stomach. Yeah, sheep stomach. That's what it was. It was that, and they had a styrofoam ball that they kind of thumbtacked that tripe to, covered it in dirt, snuffed real cigarette butts out in it, which you don't appreciate any of that because you never see a close-up of it. And by the third or fourth time I whip it out of the bag, a lot of the stuff that was like lingering on it and stuck to it uh, was kind of getting lost in the sauce too. Right. And right. like I said, you never really saw a good shot of it anyway. It could, could be almost anything the way the final cut is. But that's what it was. It was uh, a hunk of tripe wrapped around a styrofoam ball, covered in dirt and filth, and they snuffed real cigarette butts out on it, thinking it would be funny to see, like, you know, cigarette butts in this lung. But again, without getting a tight shot of that, sadly, that was all lost, that visual. But, um, and, you know, it was a good thing I I had uh, I had the gloves in that bag. That bag that I used... I had used that bag for many years before that and after that. That was my uh, like go-to audition bag. In the bag, I had some quick props if I needed it at an audition, you know, like a fake gun, and I had little card tricks in there. I had all my little fun props in that bag and my headshots that I would take to auditions during that time period, and that's what that bag was. Oh, and wow. After wow. that. It wasn't all that usable after that because it did get pretty badly messed up on that shoe. <laughs> did Kevin ever Kevin buy you a new bag? I, I think I, he owes I, you a bag. <laughs> no, I ate the bag. That's Oh, listen to that. I ate the bag. What the hell is that? Yeah, you I ate a bag. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't get reimbursed for another bag, but it's all good. Um, I I had actually heard a theory about your character um once, and I I didn't put much stock into it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, you know the alternate, the original ending, I should say, to Clerks, how how Dante's character's day ends, right? You've seen that, oh, of that. course, yeah. Okay, the theory I heard was it was the Chulies guy that did it because you never see the robber on screen. No, you do. You never yeah. see his face. I don't. That's think. what I mean. That's what I mean. Like you never see his face. And the one theory I heard was that the Chulis guy went back in and took him out. Now I know you didn't. Well, maybe you were. You weren't the guy that actually did that shot, right? Or no? No, no, not at all. That that's actually another person from the Viewerskew world who's been in a number of other films since then. You guys are familiar, obviously. I'm sure you're familiar with Chasing Amy yeah. and the finger cuffs guy, right? Yeah. yeah. It's that's his cousin. Him. Right. That's Johnny. Johnny Williams. That's yeah, that's yeah, Kevin's Kevin. cousin. Right. Um, he's the guy who comes in and shoots Dante dead in the original uh, uncut ending. Um, but, you know, it's funny. You, you you say that that was the only ending I knew for a long time because right. that was the ending he sent it out with the first bunch of months. When we got our original screener, we just got a, a director's final cut of 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 what he put in it and he had placement music that he was going to use if he didn't get a budget where he could replace it with different music sure so sure. that version which is i think you know the one that's on the xbox as well the uncut director's version which i also think might have at one point saw life on the laser disc um that's the only version i had like 
until the theatrical version came out because that's what he sent to everybody in the cast. So, yeah, no, that was um, that was his cousin Johnny. And I thought you did see his face now. Now I'm not remembering, but I'm sure you guys know better. You've seen it. Uh, you just see a body and a gun. You don't see a face. I didn't realize that. I thought you see him on camera. I think I you think briefly you see him, but it's so quick. It's hard to really match yeah, it. Yeah, it's not it like It could a... have been you if you'd shaved your beard, for all we know. Right. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, the beard is another whole strange story. I didn't have the beard when I auditioned. Um Really? No, I, in fact, back then, I went around clean shaven all the time to all the auditions, my 8x10s, my promotional shots that I sent out to get work. Everything was clean shaven. And I don't know if you know any of my history or if you uh, were part of my social network or have done any bit of homework on me. But I had a pretty terrible past with alcohol and drugs for quite a lot of years. And during the years, certainly during the time that I was involved with the first clerks, I had been uh, a pretty bad, pretty full-blown alcoholic and drug addict. But I, would able, I was able to keep my so-called shit together long enough to get some gigs and get some work. But I would fall off the radar for weeks at a time, too, and go off on horrific binges. Um, thankfully, I've been sober now a, a good lot of years i'll be sober 13 years this summer but um i had a rough patch anyway well after i got the gig it was about a week or so before we were going to do rehearsals and i went out on a real bender of drinking and drugging and everything i used to do back then and what would happen when i'd go out on these benders is i'd literally be i'd be off the radar for three four days and at the end of it course i had a growth i had a shadow and i showed up at the rehearsal with this shadow this growth and he had said i had said to him because you know he he didn't notice he had so much on his mind that he didn't sit, say anything to me like hey shafo or scaffo hey scott <laughs> you, you uh you're growing a beard what are you doing like he was just so into do, to juggling so many balls that he just wanted to work the scene and he didn't say anything about the growth. So I was starting to wonder, does he want me to keep it? Should I grow it in full? If I had my druthers, I would have shaved it off and done it clean shaven because that was my original plan. And I said to him, I said, well, what do you think? Uh, should I go with the beard? And he said, yeah, why don't you keep it? It makes you look a little more intense. It makes you look a little older than the rest of the crowd, which the gum guy kind of was supposed to. Right, and right. In essence, I was. I, I'm about seven or eight years older than most of the people in the cast anyway. But clean shaven, I look like I fit right in with them. <laughs> so he said, keep the beard. And we did, obviously. And I'll be a son of a bitch. The movie ends up being such a widely seen uh, calling card movie for all of us. And I'm in a full beard, which I never wore back then, ever. <laughs> I was clean shaven all the time. So after that, I adopted the goatees and some growth just because that's how I became known to all the people who were doing the casting afterwards. If I showed up without the beard, they would have put two and two together till I started speaking and then they would recognize the voice. Oh, that's the gum guy, you know? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So um, that's a really long, drawn-out story, brother. Sorry, man. No, no, no. no. Look, this Look, is... This we don't treat this like a typical radio interview. This is a conversation. You go as long as you need to, my man. If you got stories, tell them. Um, 
I I'm trying to think if there was anything else directly from the movie because it, it it's such a for such a short sequence. It's such a full character. I think I really do. Um, it's got a lot to it. But I'm trying to think if we haven't already covered everything. Rico, yeah. do you have something? On that, or do you want to get into? Because I know you had some questions about his other work that you wanted to ask him. Well, my my question was really more: um, Do you enjoy working on short films, uh, indie films, because they're quote unquote not mainstream, or do you do you wish that you could go more mainstream? What 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 is your preference? Do you like the freedom of shorts and indie, or? Well, initially, back uh, you know, go back now quite a long time indie film the way we kind of grew to know it in the 90s and the early 2000s it's a different world now i'm not even sure what constitutes excuse me indie per se used to be a low budget that wasn't funded by one particular studio that's kind of like what a loose definition of indie was there was no funding or no large studio behind the picture me i am a i'm a person who loves film i grew up with film i mean i am a musician first Mm -hmm. and foremost but film acting is a real close i don't even want to say it's a second it's just a different thing i love film i love acting for film but i love watching film i love talking about film um and at that point in time you know, Kevin's dream was realized, obviously, with Clerks and the success that Clerks had for uh, for him as well as all of us. But a lot of people's, obviously, a lot of our dreams were fully realized. I honestly, at that point, I had just gotten back into acting uh, more or less full time in the sense of it was getting my full attention. I was putting the music down for a little while because by my late 20s, which is what I was when I got involved with Clerks, I had been in a number of bands. A couple were very close to getting signed um, to a major label deal at one point. But, you know, the music business is crazy, too, and it never really came to pass. And I began to slowly drink and drug my way out of the one main band that I had been in many years. And I didn't want to hold those guys back. So I kind of bowed out and I put music down for a while And because I couldn't really keep my shit together for more than a handful of weeks at a time, as far as being consistently sober and clean, I thought if I got back into the acting game, if I get an acting gig, it's a week or two rehearsal, a week of shooting, two weeks of shooting, unless I'm very fortunate to get a bigger role. But in that case, I would keep my shit together long enough to finish the role, knowing that when I'm done, if I fall off the map, it doesn't hurt anybody per se other than myself. Basically, what I'm saying is with a band, my drinking and drugging was dragging down like four other dudes who I loved dearly, and I had to get away from that. Now, if I got out on the acting thing, I got an acting day gig, I did my gig, I got out of there, and I didn't blow it with the drinking, that that'd be something to pursue and a way to, you know, maybe harness a little bit more sobriety, because I was really floundering, and I continued to flounder long after Clark's was a success, but that's another whole a million zillion crazy stories, but um, try to bring it back to your question. No, no uh, worries, man. Uh, can, indie film. As much as- indie film. Uh, at that point, I saw as I had said to myself, I said, you know, the ultimate 
dream come true for me now at my age, which was the late 20s, was to, if I can't get a lead in an indie film and do really well in it, to be a character actor in indie films would be a really sweet uh, career at this point. And I was blessed with getting that Chulie's Gum Guy role, which was, we didn't know it at the time, but it was a really sweet character role in a movie that was not only an independent movie, but went on to almost define what independent movies were of that decade. Yeah. So yeah. it was a dream come true on so many levels that to this very day, it's a dream that still gives pretty amazing dividends. So, and I mean, those accolades are more career wise and door opening than they are necessarily monetary, but there's been monetary uh, rewards as well over time more so long after the film was released which is a mind blower to me too right i i i would want to ask you about the band and i'm gonna get there in a second but you just brought up something else too that rico and i comment on so a friend of ours henry who is making this movie called chasing leia is, what yes yeah right okay. i met him in england yeah. yeah, he told us that, and that's what I was actually kind of going to bring up. He, nice guy. He, very nice guy. We love him to death. He sent us a link to the panel you guys did um, that he would ask the question at uh, at MCMCon in London, and I promise you, Scott, I say this as complimentary as possible. Rico and I are watching this thing, and I said to him, I said, Scott could be in a Quentin Tarantino movie like tomorrow. Like You just look like you fit quentin's world in the different styles that he tends to do so by all means we got to get you into a tarantino film oh god i mean you know that would be pretty amazing um harley yeah right right Right? how great is that that is the great i think kevin is over the moon with happiness and and pride and a little piece of him is probably wishing it was him yeah well, I think I think Tarantino should make a movie called Once Upon a Time in Jersey, right? And, yeah. and, yeah, and the rest is history, cool. right? And actually, re bring back Jersey films, and there you go, you have it, have Jersey films produce it. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was Devito's uh, yeah. little, little playground, right? Which remind us, where from Jersey are you from originally? I'm a northern New Jersey guy, and I always have been. I've lived. 15 minutes outside the Bridger Tunnel my entire life. Uh, and like I, aside from a few other people that were in the Viewisk universe back during the Clerks era, uh, they were all down from that area. Even Marilyn and Brian and people who didn't know Kevin, because that's another myth. A lot of us in that film didn't know Kevin and we just auditioned. We were strangers. We were actors who saw an audition notice and went down and auditioned uh, for, for years. And to this day, there's a myth that everybody in that first film is either a friend or a relative. But that's just not true. Uh, Brian O'Halloran, Marilyn Gigliotti, Lisa Spoonauer, uh, myself. That's four people right there who had fairly prominent. Well, all those three guys, uh, those two gals and that and Brian, those are lead people. They didn't know Kevin personally. They met him as a result of the film. So, but I, I lived the furthest. Like I said, I, I saw that ad in a local paper here. And back then, because there wasn't, you throw a rock now and you'll hit somebody shooting a movie on their phone. Right. But back right. then 
forget it. I mean, you know, an indie film being shot in New Jersey, there was no way I was missing that audition. So I drove like an hour and a half one way. And um, so anyway, long story short, no, I, I'm from northern New Jersey, uh, not from that uh, Jersey Shore-ish area. Yes. Those guys are <laughs> down in that area. I'm, I won't hold the won't North Jersey part against you, Scott, because I'm southern Jersey boy, but, you know, that's all right. That's great. I no, never no, saw, no, I didn't no. know, I, you know, I don't know if it's me or my age range, because, again, I'm older. I'm older than I think a lot of people who are uh, View Askew Universe fans realize um, I think they everybody they thought everybody was early twenties in that movie, but I was like all, I was thirty when it came out. I was like twenty eight when we shot and I auditioned it. Right. I auditioned for it, and by the time it was released, I was thirty. So I, you know, I wasn't as young as them, but you know, I'm not an old man either. But I was one of the older people. Right. And right. I'm not really aware. I wasn't that aware that there was much rivalry between. Northern New Jersey and Southern New Jersey <laughs> in any kind of way. I mean, it never touched my generation. We had little local town rivalries up in Northern New Jersey. Sure. But I didn't sure. know that there was a little bit of a North and South sort of rivalry or divide or whatever. I know a lot of the people down there didn't like, I guess you would, you know, the, the people that would flock down there in the summer because you'd get everybody from New York and Northern New Jersey coming down to the Jersey Shore acting like it was theirs. Well, that's even that's even north of me, that Jersey Shore, the one you're referring to. I'm I'm just over the bridge from Philadelphia. Like I'm way down. You wow, know, that's so. way south. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now the the Mason Dixon line, if you will, of New Jersey seems to be right below Trenton, from my my knowledge. But okay. it's all it's all more in in teasing anyway. I I you know I. I joked with Marilyn about it when we had her on, and you know, it's yeah. I heard, I did hear most of that. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, it it would. She was a great interview. She's a wonderful person, and uh, and that's I guess the next thing I wanted to mention was it seems like, you know, you said yourself you guys weren't all friends with Kev when it started, and Rico and I actually knew that, but I'm glad you shared that with the audience because I'm not sure how many of them know, but. The thing that seems interesting is it has formed this little family now between you and Brian and Marilyn and, you know, Lisa before she passed, maybe to a lesser extent, because she seemed to have pulled herself back into private life with no reason except that she just wanted to have that family and do that part of it. But, you know, um, I guess my question is, do you like that it it brought you guys together and you got these new friends and, and maybe even family out of it? Well, it, it is, it's really have the convention world to kind of thank the convention culture and the convention circuit is a big part of how that came to happen, in my opinion and in my own experience. Because in the 90s, I had very little uh, interaction or uh, connection with Brian or Marilyn. Marilyn went out to California pretty quickly pretty quickly after clerks. I don't think she was in Jersey for that many more years after clerks. In fact, I think she just mentioned somewhere that she's been out in California like 20 years or 15 years or anyway, she wasn't in Jersey. Brian, Brian was actually floating around and he was in, he was Jersey then Staten Island and now he's in Pennsylvania. But I, uh, I got close to those guys over the last, excuse me, over the last 10 years or so, 15 years, 10, 15 years tops. 
as a result of the conventions and we would get bookings and Brian is a wonderful dude, man. I mean, he, he really became a friend. Like our friendship today is rooted in a professional relationship first, but it blossomed into a friendship as a result of being on the road a lot together. We've a lot of the conventions we've done together, Brian and I, uh, they're road trips. He's driving and we're driving together and I'm riding shotgun with him. So right. you spend that amount of hours together, you get tight. And um, he's a, a really, he looks out for all of us, honestly, but I, he's been, he's been really good to me. And Marilyn is a sweetheart. We've gotten close over the last 10 years as well. Um, Jay, Jay, I see on occasions, I don't get to see him very often, but uh, you know, there, I think what it is now it might not have been that way the first 10 years. In fact, it wasn't because there was just a different atmosphere about it. The movie itself hadn't blossomed up into this thing where now it's its own, it's its own pop culture sort of uh, mini world. And as a result, a lot of us in there, um, there is a sort of family feeling to it. It's a, it, there's a, there's a goodwill feeling that's not across the board always the case with everybody in the Buick sure, Skewer family. Sure. Um, the comic book men, I know a few of those guys, and I've had some interactions and hung out with them at different events. And down at the store, I've seen them, you know, on and off, and we cross paths. But, like, we're not all buddy-buddy per se. And those guys are in a different sort of echelon of the Buick universe than, say, a person like myself or even, say, Marilyn you know, I was fortunate to be in two View Askew films, and I got to make one pretty cool cameo in the comic book men series. Right. So I popped right. up a few places. Um, aside from that, you know, I mean, Brian's in a lot of the films. Ernie O'Donnell, who's become a good friend of mine as a result of the convention world and as a result of just being part of this whole View Askew universe. Um, he's a sweetheart of a guy, too. He's a guy you should think about having on. He's got some movies that he's producing as well coming out this year and next year. Um, he's a, a really great guy. You know, Rick, Rick Darris. Rick Darris. Yeah. I actually corresponded uh, a couple of times and I, he said he's more than interested in coming on, but then gradually nothing really happened. I'll reach out to him after we're done uh, today just to say, Hey, Skiafo yeah. said you need to come on, dude. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know where he's at with some of the movies. Cause he's got, he does, he's producing as well. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. El Todos Hablamos McDonald's deal. Porque cuando están decidiendo qué ordenar, y la tía Carmen te dice, McNuggets, mijo, y una de las hamburguesas con esa salsita, ¿sabes? Ya tú sabes que eso significa una Big Mac. Y lo sabes porque tú también amas esa salsita. Hay un meal para cada cena familiar en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. 
Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular. He's got a couple of films he's working with. I know he likes to try to time, and I know he makes sense. I get it, because I do that too when I've got projects. Try to coincide appearances with something to promote. But um, the 25th year is a big thing just to be in, to, to celebrate and embrace. Uh, and of course, we all know that the reboot's coming out. And, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There's a lot of people in there you're going to see that are familiar. There's a lot of incredible cameos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin just recently was saying that um, on Jane, Son of Bob Strikes Back, he had 22 title cards at the end of um, the movie, like where they have a picture and the name of the, the actor or actress. Uh, he said for reboot, it's 47, 49, something like that. Like 30, I think you said 44. It was 44. double with the original one. Yeah, it, regardless, it's it's a lot more. So we're hoping to see a lot of the people that we've seen. And we pushed for Marilyn to get a, a, a spot. We hope you got one, too. Um, the, the thing I want to ask you about, Scott, and, and if I'm getting too personal or something you don't want to talk about, I certainly respect that 100%. But you mentioned your, your issues with substance abuse, which um, was not something I personally was aware of. So first off, congratulations on your sobriety. That's a huge Agreed. victory for you, and I'm, I'm happy you're, you're there. Did you, since you've gotten sober, had a chance to kind of talk to Muse about it? Because I know you guys have both have been down that road, and I'm wondering if that kind of gives you something to to share that commonality right i i hear you and a couple of times when we did pass because again uh jason is extremely busy being jason and doing movie roles and doing his own projects and doing appearances as well as now he's got his amusing stories and he's come a super long way just in the last 10 years he's a father um so in a few of the passing on the on the set of comic book men when we did the uh, bowling scene the bowling yeah. Uh, yeah. episode it was the first time I had saw Jay in quite a while and that's almost about time really to fly but that's a good while ago that's at least five six seven maybe even eight years ago already my God it was episode it was season three they did seven seasons and they're off a season so it's about five six years ago but that was the first time I saw Jay. In a, in a place where we could connect for a little bit and talk and without coming out and saying it, because, you know, we, we knew about his struggles. My struggles weren't necessarily because I'm not as public of a figure. My struggles weren't very public. But the people that knew me personally, it was definitely common knowledge. And even in my Facebook world and my social media world, I have my book that's out, talks about the addiction years. And I wrote a lot during those years and a lot of the writing and the book is from the addicted years. Um, with me, it was common knowledge, but I, did, I wanted to approach it delicately with Jay. Um, we had just gotten in the costume, and uh, we both had hit the men's room, and he came in, and I was in there, and I said, hey, brother, it's really great to see you. And he, Jay's funny because he's got this way about him where when he's on, he's really on, and he was pretty energized. And it was almost like, it was almost like, uh, an uncle who hadn't seen a nephew in a long time. And he was telling me like the things he's up to and what he's doing. And it was all kind of unsolicited because I didn't want to uh, open up any kind of dialogue that might've made him uncomfortable. Sure. And he sure. was telling me how well he was doing and what was going on. And it was so sweet. 
um, I just let him go. And uh, it, it, like I said, the vibe of it for me, I don't know what Jay might have been thinking or if he'd even remember it now. But at the time, it was kind of like a nephew was telling an uncle who he hasn't seen in a while what he's been up to and that he's doing great. Because, um, you know, my heart broke for Jay because his thing was very public. And people who get addiction can be very supportive and very much um, embrace you. But there's more people that don't understand it or are ready to judge you and say something horrible. So I know he took a lot of beating, uh, maybe publicly, with people who have a lot of less than stunning thoughts about folks who have uh, substance abuse problems. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, I can't get into details, but the substance abuse has touched my world, not me specifically, but my world. So I know I know the struggle and the battle. So I again, I applaud you for your sobriety and, and making it through that fight. But let's go on to a I guess happier topic you mentioned yeah. that you're a musician first and foremost and and Scott my my love is music Rico will tell you like his passions are movies my passions music I can talk movies with him which is why we do this show but music is my my first love God Rico you were gonna say something that, that's not to say I don't love music no. I think I just I love a different type of music like my idol is Frank Sinatra so oh, wow. So I, I gravitate towards the old school type. I mean, I still like rock and, and other types of music, but I will always, first and foremost, always be a crooner listener and Sinatra aficionado. Whereas CJ just, let me look, based on his tattoo, I mean, he can has you a see musical that? note. There you go. Nice. And based on my tattoo, I've got a fedora. So you can see how we, <laughs> how we differentiate. Yeah. But nice. um, yeah, CJ, CJ definitely is the the more um, broader based of music, whereas I am more broader based of movies. Like when, when we saw the MCM thing panel and you were talking about going over to Abbey road, like I got very jealous of you. Like I was very excited. I was excited for you, but Aww. jealous for me because I didn't get to go. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. He was pissed off. He was, he hated you in that. Oh, moment. stop it. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. That um, was really a lot of fun. That was really exciting. And it's funny. I, I, I knew I was going to London for quite a while, obviously, and it didn't dawn on me to really make that a part of the trip only because you don't always know how much real free time you'll have anywhere yeah. you go when you do these shows. But luckily, we had a Brian and I got in the day before. Marilyn had gotten in two days before, so she had two days in London. Brian and I had a full day with Marilyn to where we, you know, we it was Thursday, so we were off the convention clock. And luckily, where we were was not far from there. And those two guys were sweet enough to, because I said to them, I said, you know what, guys, uh, I, we checked out where Abbey Road was. And when it was a couple of uh, subway stops away, I said to them, you know what, I might just venture out there. And my phone broke on the, it broke down, I should say. It didn't break, but my oh, phone geez. crashed on the plane ride over to, to, to England. And I had no phone when I got there. So, it was me in the hotel computer talking back home to people. I had no phone. It kind of sucked. But I was going to venture out there alone without the phone to boot. But they both said, no, we totally would want to go and we'll go with you. Because I didn't know if they would be that into it. But they were. And they we all went together. And then after that, we went to London Bridge. And we yeah. ate out down in uh, somewhere around uh, Piccadilly. It was really wonderful. But, uh, yeah, th th that was just 
a big, big plus that I didn't even think would happen right up until the time the plane landed. So the band the you band- left, though, way back when you were doing Clerics, what was what was the band? Because I'm pretty familiar with, with indie bands, and especially in the Jersey, New York, Philadelphia area. I may have heard of it. Well, we at the time that I auditioned for Clerks, I had already uh, sort of politely... Right. Was, you know, it's kind of like the odd couple. You either say... He left of his own volition or he was politely asked to leave. But I had left the band uh, about a year or so before I auditioned for Clerks. At that time, they were called Shane. And then they mutated into a thing called Skin Bean. But it was really small potatoes indie, meaning there was no big record out. We never got that. We came really close to getting signed by Sony. And it didn't happen. Or it didn't happen while I was with them. And... I left before I could bring them down kind of any farther. Um, but I what was kind of into, music? I was super into um, a lot of the music of the time, which there was a resurgence then with a lot of grunge and Alice in Chains. In fact, going to the audition, I had the Alice in Chains dirt album blasting in the car all the way nice. down to nice. South Jersey. Yeah. But I love Alice in Chains. I loved all that stuff. Soundgarden, um, Temple of the Dog, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that's who I was into at that period, early 90s. But I, I mean, I've been into every I grew up with the bands of the 60s and the 70s. Sure, and then sure. in the 80s, I was in college and it was R.E.M. and The Cure and U2. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I do love almost all music. I can relate to the crooners. My dad is a crooner. He's an amazing singer, even right up to a few years back, even into his late 80s, early 90s. He still sang amazingly. He was a nightclub singer for years in the tradition of Bennett and Sinatra. So I could get behind what you're saying. I, I, I love the crooners myself. I love. There's not much music I don't like or find some thing to draw on from. I have certain favorite genres and certain sure, favorite sure. decades. But um, music is is a thing. It's like it. It's like breathing. You know, playing my yeah, guitar yeah. or the piano. I. I was asked a, lot, a while ago, like, if I had a choice, what I would do professionally, what I would want to do professionally if I had to make a choice. And I did say acting solely because what I do with the music in my home studio, I have a production studio and I have had a, a digital production studio even before uh, computers took over uh, recording. I had an old tape based setup for years. I had a project studio where I made some bread doing demos, made bread doing indie film work, music for indie films. I was able to do with music what I wanted to do without ever having to escalate and get a record deal and and have a top 10 record. Don't get me wrong. That would have been amazing. I would have loved it. But my love for music and what I do with it, I was doing either way. If I had to choose, I would want to be a professional character actor and that's the only reason why I would make the distinction, because music is, I love it, I do it, whether I'm making bread from it or not, it's always present in my life. Was with the acting, to act on film and to get paid to do that, that's a very distinct, precise, not easy thing to do. So it was more of a goal to have to chase rather than what I did with the music. Sometimes it was pleasure, sometimes it was bread. So that's how I kind of picked so, the two. So- Oh, I don't want to be killjoy. I see what time it is. I actually only have about ten more minutes, guys. I'm sorry. 
no, it's, it's, it's fine. fine. I, I do have to ask two quick music questions, then I'm going to let Rico ask anything, because he, he, he's a big horror fan, and I know you are too, so sure. I'll get out of his way. But um, first off, the band you were in, what kind of music were they playing? But before you answer that, because you mentioned all those the grunge bands that you liked, my personal opinion that of those, that grouping, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, that Alice in Chains is the best band of that group, hands down, without question. I'd love to hear what you think of that, and then again, what music your band was. Well, I, w- I, I would not disagree with you. I loved Alice in Chains. I loved Alice in Chains for a number of reasons, not just the music, but Lady was struggling horribly with his own addictions, as was I during that period. So I super related to the lyrics, especially of the Dirt album. I mean, the entire album is wrapped up in addiction, recovery, rehab, you know, the angry chair. I mean, that's a device they use in rehabs. Um, I later on went on to get a master's degree in mental health counseling, and I specialized in addiction in my master's degree because I so believed in talk therapy as a passion and I believed in psychology and then it was was uh, driven by it my whole life. So I ended up getting a master's degree in something I don't do for a living either. So I really am <laughs> a mix of crazy shit, actor, musician, master's degree. But I don't I don't have any people I see as a therapist, but I'm I'm uh, I'm an NCC credential uh, therapist. But again, answer your question, Allison Chains. Um Although I do love all those bands almost equally, I couldn't say that I would take them and really hold them heads and tails above everyone else. Um, That's fair. I personally like them a lot because I identified a lot with the lyrics and musically they really killed it. I loved how they would have their acoustic albums and then they would have the crazy heavy records and they mixed that all up. It was wonderful. Um, My band, at the time we were almost signed, this is going to sound crazy talking about such heavy rock. We were like the antithesis of that, but this is the late eighties. I don't know if you're familiar with the Indigo girls. Some people either love them or hate them, but we were kind of like the Indigo guys. We were very folky. We were very acoustic driven. It was very song driven. And uh, we would go out as a band, but we would also go out as a three piece acoustic and we would pick it up a lot of steam over like say between 85 up to 88 but then it started to kind of go into toilet because i couldn't keep it together right. and i didn't want to drag those guys down like we had major label people at sony wanting to see us in a showcase and i just they didn't feel good about me still being part of it even though i wrote i was half of all the music because i wrote all the songs with the lead singer but i bowed out and i told them take the music and do whatever you want with it i don't want to hold you guys back um, but I have loved every kind of style of music. I came up with the English stuff, Beatles, Stones, Zeppelin, Who, uh, Love Punk, Dead Boys, Sex Pistols, Clash, Johnny Thunders, New York Dolls. Um, I, I follow just about every genre, but um, to me, I don't think there is too many styles of music. I mean, I went through a hip hop phase in the late 90s. I, I, you know, I was like, I, I I was like surgically glued to a bong listening to the Wu Tang Clan. There's worse ways to live. So, um, Rico, does there anything I know? Because I knew you're a big horror guy, and he's 
you know, we're on a time limit here, so I don't know if there's anything you want to ask about. I just, I'm just curious because we had this reoccurring joke. What did, what is your take on the original oh, film Halloween from 1978? I hate um, you. <laughs> I got, I'll tell you one thing. I have not been tuned in to a lot of the reboots or even the sequels. In all honesty, I do enjoy horror. It's not necessarily my favorite movie genre go to, mm. but I do dig horror. I like a lot. I like drama. I like. I do like rom-coms and maybe not as much as I used to when I was younger, but, uh, crime drama. Um, I, I gravitate to documentaries a lot now. Uh, I do love horror, but I I'm talking about, I think, you know, movies I came up with in the seventies and the eighties, um, the exorcist, the omen. Uh, these are films that really made a, a big dent in me as far as horror movies. Um, but I, 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 I have love in my heart for the original, excuse me, the original Halloween. Uh, is it uh, you have a love hate? I have against CJ because CJ didn't like it. The original Halloween. Yeah, he we, didn't like we, the original. Around Halloween last year, we did a thing because I I had never seen. I'm not a horror movie person. It's just not what I enjoy. That doesn't mean that there's anything necessarily wrong with them, but I just don't like them. Rico. It's a big fan, so it was right around the time they were doing the reboot or re-release or whatever they were calling this most recent Halloween. So he went to see it in the theater, and I watched the original one for the first time, and then we came together to discuss it, and I thought it was one of the stupidest things I'd ever seen. So, <laughs> so every single chance I get with a new guest, I always want the guest to just talk shit to CJ about how wrong he is. But, you know, it, it, it's weird because there is this... It could be just your sort of your long haired bearded appearance, but there is this sort of weird public knowledge or at least misconception that you are a horror buff. And I think people are just confusing you with Tom Savini is what I think. Oh, my gosh. Um, It's funny. I used to have I I really was the goatee guy for a long time. And he and I were at a couple of conventions together and we really did look like like uh, some kind of wacky brothers. You look like brothers. It's kind of crazy. It's the, it's it's the Italian bearded look. Probably it. Um, I'm definitely not a horror aficionado. I do dig it as a genre. But right. again, that's like saying, I mean, I love most genres of film if it's a good film for the most part. Although I'm not a, I'm not much of a period piece guy. I'm not much of a, much of a war movie guy. And I'm not much of an old Western guy. But I'm I'm with you. I'm not a big Western fan. My my type of Western is like the unconventional ones, like Little Big Man. Right. Or how about the Raimi one? Oh, uh, the Quick and the Dead. Yeah, that's a really good underrated one, man. I, I'm again, I'm not big into westerns, but there's right, those random great. ones like like Jim Jarmusch did Dead Man. I think that's really good, but I don't like most of Jarmusch's other films. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, no, I think getting back to Halloween. Because I came up with that, I mean, I'm young enough to remember it originally coming out into theaters. I think I was 15 or 16 or I was in high school, I'm pretty sure, when that came out to the theaters. And it was a big deal then, just like I remember Star Wars coming to the theaters then. That was the first movie anybody lined around the block to see. Brian O'Halloran will tell you that, too. He he have the same uh, memory. Jaws, yep. Jaws, I was like 13 or 14 years old, and I was not a beach guy. As you could tell, I am more of a, 
indoors, get my studio tan. I'm not an outdoor guy. I'm not a wilderness <laughs> guy. I'm not a hiking, go camping guy. Uh, it's just not really me. I'm not an outdoors type. Uh, so, but anyway, that year, I, my cousins took me to the beach, and there was no way I was getting in the water after Jaws. Well, I would imagine watching Jaws, you're kind of like, what's the big fucking deal? Just don't go on the beach like I do. Like, come on. You right. know, the way of avoiding the situation is just stay in your apartment. Right, right. So, uh, well, on, on, on another question, I mean, I, I know I'm going to come off super stereotypical, but do you know where your family comes from in Italy? I know. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm my father's side is Italian. That's obvious. Scalfo. And we are Napolitans. We're not Sicilian. I know he's drummed that in my head my whole life. Um, and my dad and I are not, we're only close to the last 15, 20 years of my life, by the way. The first bunch of years, and I you know I'm old and I'm long in the tooth. I'm 55. And he and I didn't start really developing a relationship until my early 40s. We were estranged most of my life. I grew up with a single mother. I love uh, her no. now, but we were estranged. So I didn't know many scaffolds my whole life. I knew my mother's side, and she was Polish. Stemkowski's. So, but I don't know. Uh, I know it's uh, Napoletan is where my Italian roots are. And the other half of me are Polish. My mom was Polish. Okay. okay. Great. I mean, I, my dad has to say that you'll probably appreciate it because my, my dad's side is Northern and Southern Italian, but when we're pissed off, we're Sicilian. There you go. Yeah. And you've seen, I know you've seen, uh, oh God, I'm getting bad with names as I'm getting older. That's the Tarantino film with Tony Scott directed with uh, True Romance. Right, you remember this? Obviously, the scene with the Sicilians. Right, the the it's scene the that every guy wants to talk about but can't talk about. <laughs> that scene is so hilarious. Somebody just brought that up to me the other day. Uh, that whole thing with Christopher Walken and and um, oh God, Hopper. right, right, right. Um, you got young James Gandolfini in the background kind of steering, like it's younger, yeah. thinner Gandolfini. Right, and he had that whole violent, horrible hotel room scene with, with uh, Arquette. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. There are certain movies where, I mean, I can handle the splatterness of gore, and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. But when it comes to a woman being beaten, I, I, I cringe. I turn away. I look uncomfortable. I become uncomfortable, whether it's girl with the dragon tattoo but that scene where gandolfini and arquette kick the shit out of each other is only redeemable because you know spoiler patricia arquette fucks him up at the end but yeah. she gets her ass handed to her a good chunk of that scene so it's really uncomfortable for me to watch it is no but i, I agree uh, again with you talking to somebody who you know was an adult when these things first came out in the theater and seeing them firsthand you know, uh, it, it was very unsettling, very, very unsettling. But that's it's almost like Casino. Right. Uh, the violence is so unsettling that in some kind of way, I don't know how Scorsese does it, but the violence in that film particularly, as horrible as it is, somehow it is poetic and artistic. And and, and it it doesn't disturb me the way it would if it were out of context of that scene. The, the whole thing with the graves and the baseball bats is so horrible and so disturbing. But it's so poetic in the movie. It's the so whole movie, The whole movie and all the violence in that movie I can handle. But one of the Joe Pesci baseball cornfield scene, it makes me 
like sick to my stomach because it's I don't know what the fuck it was. It's just because you look at Joe Pesci, you're like, wow, you're kind of a villain in a way, but you're getting beaten to death by your best friend. Spoiler for those who haven't seen fucking casino (laughs) one. It's been out 30 fucking years. But uh, I I mean, for true romance, you were an adult. I was two when that movie came out. (laughs) I mean, I didn't see that movie. I was maybe 12 or 13 years after it came out so right. and even then i it, it was tarantino wasn't even on my radar i I, rem- I remember thinking this sounds a lot like tarantino but it doesn't look like tarantino right 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 so you you guys were introduced to a lot of this stuff on video which is wonderful but it, believe me it was really unsettling on the big screen i can imagine I can- guys i had a great time man yeah. and i apologize Thank you, Scott, for coming in we really appreciate it yeah, we start. I apologize, but I'm glad we got to do this today. And uh, I want you to keep me posted. Please, uh, folks, if you want to just follow along with me, my social media, Scott Schiaffo at Facebook, Twitter, IG. I'm not great with IG and Twitter. I'll be honest. I'm on Facebook much more than those others, but I'm getting better at uh, IG. I got a better phone now. So we'll make sure to have all your, your social media stuff in the description of the episode, Scott. So we'll make sure we get that out there for you. No problem, buddy. Great. All right. Well, listen, keep me posted. And uh, I had a dynamite time talking with you guys. You're, you're good people. We'd love to We'd have love you back to and talk back. more more movies because we know we centered a lot around clerks, but we needed to on this one. But we'd love to have you back and just do more of a general movie discussion if you're if you're ever on board for that. Great. Well, we'll talk about it. All right. Yeah. All right. All right Thanks guys. a lot, Scott. We appreciate it, man. Take care of yourself. Be good. Have a good night. You too. All right, all right, man. So that was Scott Schiaffo. Wait, 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 wait. It's Schiaffo, motherfucker. I'm sorry. Per- yes, Schiaffo. Yes. Shit, it's Schiaffo. Yes. Okay. It was a great interview, though, man. He was a fun. He was fun to talk to. He was great. He was. He was multitude of information that we did not expect because the truth is, like I said, there is this sort of miscon. Like, there's not a lot of of information on your like IMDb or Wikipedia. All the information I'm sure comes from him directly through like Facebook. Sure. But he shared a lot of information I did not know about. Yeah, me me too. Um, you know, it was it was really an interesting conversation. You know, it's funny, we get into these interviews and you know, I every time we go towards one, I feel like I know what to expect. You know, as we do more of them, you know, between Maddie and Marilyn and now Scott. Um, and every time I'm thrown for a loop, and I mean that in the best possible way. But, it, like, I, I always think I know what I'm, what to, what's going to come, and it never does the way I expect it to. Well, I think it's, it comes from us being very much not your typical interviewers. True, true. You know, we are, we... You you guys didn't hear, but we we had an initial thirty second early thing with Scott, and we basically said, "Hey man, we're relaxed, we're cool. If you want to swear, you could swear. If you want to pause, we can go pause. You can go have a you know go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, or whatever. Smoke a cigarette, whatever so you I, do, yeah, or smoke a cigarette or whatever. Well, I, I actually I was curious. I wanted to ask him that question, which was." Did you find it slightly ironic that you played a Chewy's gum representative and you probably were a smoker in your life? But I didn't ask him if he was a smoker. Yeah, I I don't know if it was necessary. It wasn't necessary. It was just slightly ironic. But um, 
talking to him, like I said, gave me a new appreciation for his character. Yeah. Because as he was describing how other people perceive that character as a douchebag or, or just an asshole, I, I suddenly I felt protective of the Chewie's guy, gum guy. I'm like, Agreed. this is guy who's just trying to do his fucking job. And I never viewed him that way. Like, I never, you know, like, if you had said to me who's the villain... In clerks, the Chewie's good guy, the the Chewie's gum guy would have never been what I went with, you know. The <laughs> <laughs> Um But no, like you know, that character was never like. I to me, and I said it to him. I thought if there's more of a villain, it's the fucking hockey guy, you know. Well, if I really, and I I know I might get some flack for this. But if I'm being honest, I, uh, I've always, and no disrespect to her as the person herself, we're talking about the character, mm-hmm. I always kind of envisioned um, Caitlin as the sort of pseudo-antagonist of, of, of Clerks. I could, I could see that. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think that's a fair statement. Again, you're right, that's not a, that's not a, a, a description of Lisa Spoonhour, that's a description oh, of Caitlin Bree. Yeah. I just always let let's be real. The real villain here is the Asian design major. That's the real villain. Is he though? He just got dumped. I'm totally just throwing it somewhere else. That's all. You know, I always felt it was a slightly. You know, I never felt comfortable ever uttering those like Asian design major because is he because it just seemed more racist than it really should have been. Um. I think because I never understood is he a, is he Asian who's a design major? Yes. Or is or is he a major in Asian design? Oh, I uh, I always I took it as the Singh. former, not the latter. But you could be right. I I know the character's name is Sing or Sang or something. Yeah, Sang. Some, some, I think it's Sang. Yeah, Song. Um, oh. <laughs> sing, sing a oh song. Oh my God. <laughs> Help me! <laughs> but, um, you know, again, nothing against Lisa Spoonhour, but I always felt like her character was, you know, she kind of egged Dante on. Dante yeah. is a stupid character who is easily manipulated, which is, I would argue, the whole reason why Randall is still in his fucking life is because Randall knows how to tweak Dante to go into his breast, essentially, without graphic. And I would argue that Caitlin was just a female Randall. I think I even said that at one point. I on think you did. Of- yeah. Yeah. So, and I, you know, it could just be the fact that I'm a bigger fan of Veronica or, or, we or Marilyn are. Gigliotti in general. Yeah, we both but, are. Yeah, we both are. But and, and going back to Scott, man, I, I felt like, you know, there's this quote from the actor Javier Bardem. And he said, you know, all all actors are are lawyers to our characters. No Ooh. matter what, you have to represent them. You like have that. to defend them. Yeah. If your character's a villain, you have to rationale why he's a villain. And I think because he because Scofield's character is a and is a slightly antagonistic character, especially you know, I, which I don't screams know, to man. me more. I would say he's more aggressive than antagonistic, though. Like, I... no, but rem- the part that screams to me is when 
Dante says, you know, if you're if you're going to drink that coffee, I, sh- I think you should take it outside. And Julie's guy says, no, I think I'll tell. I think I'll have it here. Thank you very much. Which is such a fucking like, first off, who drinks their coffee as a customer in the in the uh, quick stop? Who At the counter. That? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. He, he planned to stand there waiting for other customers. So automatically he's becoming a douche nozzle. But he is a douche nozzle, but he's also still trying to pay his fucking rent. He's just trying to be a salesman. What I what I liked I liked everything about the interview with Scott. So I don't want to say that none of it, you know, there's only this one thing that I like. But the one thing that I really liked and appreciated is we got this insight into the lung and like how it was put together. I thought that was really neat. It's you know, I had, I had actually heard very similar. He, I think he was. I don't. I'm not saying he was uh, wrong, but I had heard that it was actually a calf lung. It was an actual lung from a calf or a cow that they got at the butcher shop. But the cigarettes is is true that they stubbed out cigarettes in the fucking lung, which I I gotta agree, man. Just the fact that we the fans kind of know that shit, but you never see a tight shot of this fucking butted out fucking lung right but the fans know it makes it kind of the all the more interesting i mean i i hope i'm just trying to imagine that conversation with kevin being like going to the butcher shop and he was not a smoker back then so he's trying to find all the other smokers that he knows in the crew probably muse and everything and be like all right you have to like stub out all the cigarettes on this fucking thing because we need to make it look blackened and cancerous but yeah for scott man i i he was such a great guest i'm i'm glad he's such a good sport that he uh i got away with saying that he looks like tom savini because i I was fucking like actually i was really really like worried about that because it's not always a there's always a risk of saying you know who you look like and they're like motherfucker i look like me but who do you think i look like yeah no i i i he seemed to be a good sport and i so, full disclosure to our listeners, I've been li- talking to Scott on t- Facebook for several weeks now, setting this up, you know, and and a lot of it wasn't just, oh, be here at this time, at this date, or whatever. It was like, hey, so what do you think of this, and do you like that, and, and you know, just conversation like we had with him, you know. But I saved the important questions, for lack of a better word, till we could have him on the recording. So... You know, but he he's a pretty laid back guy. He likes talking to people, and and honestly, Rico, I think we need to have him back to do more of a movie deep dive or a music deep dive. Like we needed to cover the things we needed to cover on this episode, and we had a good time. But I think we need him back to to talk just general topic stuff. I think he'd be fun to have have on for that. A follow up. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of our shorter episodes, but I feel like if we try to do any more, we're not we're gonna do disjustice to the interview we just had. So I think we probably need to wrap it up. Agreed. I, I think this is a good way of ending it. Um, I would I gotta give you credit. You you do you have some you have some good questions. Thank you. Uh, I've you. always kind of preached your your uh, your interviewing skills. You you are more of the interviewer, and I'm the one to be like so. How many dicks would it really be? <laughs> like, so 37 dicks is a lot, don't you think? Remember that time you were in the Beatles? That was awesome, man. <laughs> I, I am definitely the fucking Chris Farley, Chris Farley show. I'm just like, you remember when you when you were in Clerks? 
yeah, that was awesome. You know, I um, no, I I've gotten some flack for bringing this up so much recently, but but Jay, our our Australian fan, is constantly telling me how great of an interviewer I am, and and you say it too, so I'm not taking away from you, and I think you're both crazy. <laughs> you know, you you stick to you you know whether you take them take notes and have them written down or not you ask questions and well, and that's the most important thing we do have a conversation but there is you know it's not their job to ask us questions right right so so well if, if, if i was doing it i would just be like so halloween love it or fucking hate it like cj over here <laughs> um well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you to Scott Schiaffo uh, for joining us tonight. <laughs> um, it was a it was a great, great episode. And, and, you know, he gave us time. And that we always are appreciative when someone else takes the time to join our silliness. So, you know. Not to mention he, he remembered Henry. I think that's like, awesome. He knew I, his last name immediately. I can't wait to tell Henry that he... Did did Scott no, 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 still want to give him the? Don't tell him. No, don't Henry, tell him. You're hearing All this right. for the first time. There you go. All right, thank you guys. We really always love that you listen to us, and we'll be back with another one soon. This episode was brought to you by Chuli's Gum for when you don't want to have to smoke through a trach ring. Pack a cigarette. Are you sure? Am I sure? Are you sure? Am I sure about what? Do you really want to buy those cigarettes? Are you serious? How long you been smoking? What is this, a pull? How long you been a smoker? I don't know, since I was about 13. 13. Let's say you're about 19, 20, am I right? What in the hell is that? That's your lung. By this time, your lung looks like this. Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments, where bold moves require confident blueprints, where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at saic.com cloud.